You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. And really, you should be saying welcome back to me because I took the week off last week. Been going through some things in the personal life, in the real job that required more attention than usual. And so I had less attention to give to this, but I'm back from outer space, and I just walked in to find you here with that sad look upon your face. And the reason that sad look is upon your face is because you're getting a little bit nervous because free agency is coming, and then the draft is coming, and you're starting to feel connected to free agents or draft prospects, and you're starting to have arguments on to interwebs. And something that popped up recently that I want to bring a little bit of light to, a little clarity to, is the title of this episode, and that is Neverland. I titled this episode Neverland because I've been getting into some conversations on social media and with other Buffalo Bills fans, content creators, media, and so on and so forth in regards to some of the specific guidelines and rules that I personally take into consideration when I am developing my own personal preferences when it comes to roster construction. You know this. You listened to last year's podcast when I did a show called The Book of Bruce, which was outlining my specific rules, things that I believe in, foundational tenets of roster construction. And one of the things that's come up in my conversations with other fans is my specific rigidity when it comes to those rules. Well, Bruce, you can't be so inflexible. First off, I'm horribly inflexible. Let's just talk about the fact that I have to do yoga fairly often. And I love it with you. I'm a little upset. I started doing yoga years ago, and at no point have I developed the ability to teleport or elongate my limbs or to breathe fire. So that was disappointing. For those of you who got that reference, you're welcome. But I'm not really flexible when it comes to those things. And that rubs some people the wrong way. 
And so what I want to do is I want to explain to you why I live in Neverland, why I live in these hard structured rules, like never take a running back in the first round. This is a hard rule. People are like, wow, Bruce never is. It's such a hard terminology. Never. Oh man. It's so binary. It's so hard. Why are you like that? Well, I live in a world of nevers. I live in a world based on rules, not because there aren't exceptions. I acknowledge there are exceptions to rules, but because those outliers are even called exceptions to begin with. I recognize that going outside of these rules significantly lowers the probability of success. It doesn't eliminate the probability of success. That's the reason outliers exist. If you say to yourself, I'm never going to go outside these boundaries, and then you do, nothing bad could happen. It could work out great for you. But the boundaries were set up for a reason. Never do this does not mean that it will never work out. Never do it because it's very likely to not work out. It might work out, but that doesn't mean you should do it. The reason I live in Neverland is because Neverland is a structure built on probabilities. A fall from 84 feet has a 90% chance of causing human death. 84 feet, 90% chance of death. I have a 100% chance of not voluntarily jumping from 84 feet. Well, there's a 10% chance I could live. Yeah, but there's a 90% chance that I'm going to die. And I'm playing the probabilities. And I recognize that one of the immediate things that comes up is why do you have these? And I have explained before many times why I have these boundaries set up. Why I say never take a running back in the first round. Never take a two-down run-stuffing linebacker in the first round. Never take a two-down run-stuffing defensive tackle in the first round. Never take a specialist in the first round. I've explained all these things before. But what I haven't done is explained why nevers even exist. Because your immediate response is going to be, you will miss out on some really good talent. And to that, I respond with, I know. I know I will miss out on significant talent through that process. I will miss out on outliers. I might miss out on players who end up being very, very good at their positions. But they're called outliers for a reason. One of the hilarious examples of this, and the point that I hope will help kind of wrap it all up, is how many times have you and I had the conversation on this podcast where we've said, good luck, rest of NFL. Good luck chasing the next Josh Allen because Josh Allen is one of one. You've heard this. You may have said this. You probably agree with this. You admit that Josh Allen's trajectory and Josh Allen's story and Josh Allen's development is extremely improbable. In fact, I've called him Josh Allen the improbable. On this podcast, we admit he's an outlier, but then in a simultaneous breath, we want to challenge the idea that you should chase outliers. Is that not exactly what we are making fun of the rest of the NFL for doing? 
We are making fun of them for chasing the next Josh Allen because we know how rare it is, but yet we're completely okay chasing outliers elsewhere. That strikes me as intellectual dishonesty. On one hand, you are acknowledging the rarity of the outcome. You're saying, yes, I recognize that what we are seeing in front of Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills is rare. It is unique. It is different. And then on the other hand, simultaneously, you are saying, well, we should go chase outliers. You just said how rare it was. You just said Josh Allen was one of one. And now you would like to build a roster building philosophy around trying to chase the thing you just said was unbelievably rare. That's why. Now, your logical extension here is going to be to say, wait a second, Bruce, that means you would have missed out on Josh Allen. I know. I did. I did miss on Josh Allen. We've talked about this before. I missed on Josh Allen because I was very strongly held to my rules. And I acknowledge that. And I acknowledge you're going to miss on outliers. But given the fact that Josh Allen's so incredibly rare, I'm not going to go chasing the next one either. I would much rather miss on the one of 100 than swing on 30 of the 100 and miss 29 of them. And so I acknowledge that you're going to miss special, unique talents that don't draw inside the lines by saying things like never. And I recognize that that makes some people uncomfortable. But one of the other benefits to living in Neverland is it doesn't make you make emotional mistakes. It's very important when it comes to selection of anything that you not fall in love with things you're not supposed to fall in love with. This can be taken in a very literal example. When I was picking a spouse, there were five individual character traits that I was looking for. Honesty, loyalty, exhibited appreciation, compatible morality, and conflict management. And I said that if there was someone out there who exhibited all five of those things at a high level, that I feel like I should get to know that person. That's someone who I think was good spouse material. I met people who were three of the five. I met people who were two of the five. I met people who were four of the five. The one I married is five of the five. Could I have married someone else and had it work out? Yes, I believe that's possible. It's less probable in my opinion, but it's possible. But I'm not going to chase an outlier. Structure is not intrinsically a bad thing. It keeps you from making emotional mistakes. Well, yeah, but she's really pretty. Well, yeah, but she's really funny. I'm not sure marriages last on pretty and funny. Well, he's got a huge arm. Okay. Yeah, I know he's got these red flags, but man, that pro day, Jamarcus Russell had an unbelievable pro day. Kyle Bowler could throw the ball a mile from his knees. People make emotional mistakes. Structure prevents it. Oh man, but I saw this great clip on Twitter 
of this prospect doing this awesome thing. Structure is there to protect people. We always think that structure is about shutting people out. When in reality, it's about keeping people in. Structure is far more about protecting what's inside than it is excluding what's outside. Josh Allen's one of one, good luck chasing another one, is not a compatible mindset with we should chase outliers. You are acknowledging low probability while simultaneously deciding to ignore low probability. The Bills absolutely struck gold with Josh Allen. The NFL should not go looking for the next Josh Allen. And you shouldn't build your draft and free agent and roster construction philosophy around the idea that you can consistently well execute acknowledgement of outliers and be able to hit them at a high level because they are outliers because they have a low probability of working out. That is what makes them outliers. So don't chase low probability things because you fell in love. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We've got emails to go through. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about this wonderful place I live called Neverland and why I have such strong boundaries when it comes to things like that. And now we got emails, two weeks of them to get through. Tyler sends me an email and says, Hey Bruce, I want to take a quick moment and thank you for all that you do on behalf of Bill's Mafia. We're truly fortunate to have an A-level content creator like you who brings tremendous character, perspective, common sense, and intellectual honesty to the table instead of hot takes and hoopla that is so prominent in today's sports media. I truly believe the big networks should be taking advice from you. I wake up every Thursday morning at 5.30 a.m. for work, and one of the first thoughts that goes to my head is, yes, new Bruce exclusive today. I even think I've said it out loud a time or two. The Bruce exclusive podcast is downloaded and playing even before my feet hit the floor to start my day. I wanted to throw in some perspective for all the fire McDermott folks out there to hopefully cool their jets a little bit, if nothing else. It's always good as a reminder to remember where we come from and where we've been in the past as a franchise. I hope those that are critical of McDermott will at least chew on these thoughts and it will help shape their perspective of our coach and our team moving forward. 
we heard an awful lot of something's got to change and fire McDermott chatter since the loss to the Chiefs in the divisional round. We even heard some of the same talk after the stunning losses to the Jaguars, Colts, and Patriots this past season. On the inverse of that, you hear and will continue to hear a lot of McDermott defenders saying, hey, four playoff appearances in five years, you can't argue that. But I don't want to talk about that right here. What I want to talk about is the year the Bills didn't make the playoffs under McDermott in 2018. It seems so long ago now, and it's more of a dark spot in the Bills-McDermott era. If you remember, we ended the season at 6-10. and 10. If you also remember, we started that season 0-2 after being absolutely pulverized by the Ravens and the Chargers when Josh Allen was thrust onto the field of battle and experienced one of the worst trials by fire that a young quarterback could and should ever have to undergo. I clearly remember hearing a lot of talk across various platforms and from many of the professional pundits that the 2018 Buffalo Bills were the worst team in the NFL. The Bills would have the number one overall pick in the 2019 draft, and there was a very real possibility that the 2018 version of this team would join the 2008 Detroit Lions as the only 0-16 teams in NFL history. I can't say I blame them, honestly. What happened in week three, however, was our first glimpse of Air Allen and threw a thorough beatdown of the Buffalo Bills against the Minnesota Vikings, who were nearly a Super Bowl team the year prior, coming off a 13 record. From there, we went on to lose eight more games and actually win five other games against the Titans, Jets, Jaguars, eat your heart out, Jalen Ramsey, Lions, and Dolphins. We would have had another victory against the Dolphins if Josh could have connected with a wide-open Charles Clay in the end zone. But if you look at the roster, McDermott grinded out six wings with the following players, rookie Josh Allen, Robert Foster, Deontay Thompson, Kelvin Benjamin, John Miller, Deion Lacey, Ryan Groy, Mike Love, an aging LaShawn McCoy. He made chicken soup out of chicken poop in 2018. A bad coach does not take a newly inherited, previously 7-9 disaster of a team to a 9-7 season and a first playoff berth in 17 seasons. A bad coach doesn't take his team to the playoffs four out of the five years of his tenure. Sure, Coach McDermott has made mistakes along the way, but hey, I've been doing my current job for just about as long as Sean McDermott has at the helm of the Bills, and I make mistakes every day. Sometimes when the stakes are high and it matters most. And guess what? I fail, I learn from those mistakes, and I'm better for it. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on this, even if it doesn't make it on the podcast. Thanks for all that you do, and keep making Thursday mornings a morning to get excited to wake up for. All the best to you and the missus. Thank you, Tyler. So I had to shorten that a little bit, Tyler, but I hope I got the entire points correct. And I agree. I think a lot of the time when we're talking about Sean McDermott, we don't talk about 2018, but you can make an argument that 2018 was a better coaching job, and I think a lot of people have made this argument, than 2017 for Sean McDermott. Because the team was historically bad. That's not hyperbole. For a while there, the Bills were on pace to have the worst offense in the history of football. That bad. Almost not a single player from that offense ended up being a meaningful player somewhere else. That's how completely bereft of talent that offense was. The fact that you can manage to pull off that while not scoring a lot of points, I think it matters. I agree. We don't want to talk about that. And I think that what happens then when you point that out, the narrative shifts. It goes from, well, yeah, but maybe he's just not the coach to get you over the hump. 
Maybe he's not the coach to get you over the hump. Maybe he's a good enough coach to get to playoffs, but he can't win the big game. Can't win the big game. As if somehow that's just like an intrinsic coaching flaw that some coaches just can't win the big game. Sorry. These are all the coaches who couldn't win the big game until they did. Andy Reid, Bill Cowher, Dick Vermeil, Bruce Arians, Gary Kubiak, Tony Dungy, Bill Belichick, John Gruden. Couldn't win the big game until they just did. Because we don't want to acknowledge, as I've said before, we do not want to acknowledge the variance that goes into football. A couple things go differently. 13 seconds doesn't really matter against the Kansas City Chiefs. A couple things go differently. The Rams don't get past the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the narrative of this season is different. Ryan Tannehill doesn't throw a pick. We don't talk nearly as much about Joe Burrow. It is a game that is razor thin in its margins. And sometimes we acknowledge that. Any given Sunday, you never know, anything can happen. And then sometimes we just refuse to acknowledge it and say things like, well, he just can't win the big game. Dion says, Hey, Bruce, I have a logical sequence in relation to the sack and pressure discussion from your last pod. I feel it's generally accepted, though I may be wrong about this, that from an offensive perspective, pressures are mainly on the offensive line and pressure to sack conversion rate is more on the quarterback. We often praise how Josh Allen is able to escape pressure. This would mean pressures allowed are an offensive line stat and percentage of pressures converted into sacks is a quarterback stat. Wouldn't it then follow that from a defensive perspective, pressure is mainly due to pass rushers and pressure to sack rate is more coverage based, meaning pressures would be a defensive line and pass rush stat and percentage of pressures converted into sacks would be a coverage stat. I love to hear your thoughts on this logic. Wins are not a quarterback stat. Dion Pawkins. Dion, first off, awesome name. Thank you for following me on Twitter because I know who you are. Also, I think this is wonderful. I really do. I think that the fact that you were able to convert a pressure to a sack is based a lot on the options that the quarterback has to go on when they are feeling pressure. If they are feeling pressure and they have a quick check down, then they can just go to that. If they're feeling pressure and they have to roll out of it and they're an athlete, that helps. I think as you get more athletic quarterbacks, that even cranks up the nozzle a little bit. Now, it's not going to be one-to-one. I'd really probably have to go back and look at all of them. But as a general trend, I agree with your logic. And that is that getting pressure is often a defensive line stat. Now, I will say this. If the coverage holds up, you can get pressures even if the defensive line is not performing well. That's the reason why what you just described here is the reason why pass rush win rate is a thing. Because it's based on two and a half seconds. It's based on which defensive linemen defeat their blocks in a certain time. So what you would notice is if there is a significant gap between the pressure rate and the pass rush win rate, which is always really difficult for me to say, If somebody is, let's go, first in pressure rate, but they're 30th in pass rush win rate, then I think their pressure rate was due to coverage, not them. It's one of the reasons why using multiple metrics to tell a story is always better than using one. The 
basis for quarterbacks do. The basis for QBs do is based on this concept. So I would say that the gap between pressure rate and pass rush win rate helps you determine whether it's on the lineman, the pass rusher, or whether it's on the coverage. So I think that that gap there is meaningful. And we will explore some of that a little bit later this offseason. Andy says, Bruce, listening to your discussion on Saran Neal, it got me thinking and it led me to this take. To the extent that the contract incentives are based on defensive snap counts, Neal will max out his potential bonus for the 2022 season. I think the Bills will be exploring defensive schemes that involve only a three-man rush and 33 will be the extra DB on the field for these scenarios. Note, given what we've seen from a defensive line, there's no guarantee the strategy will actually be effective absent continued investment and or development there. That said, I think the team still gives us a try. I don't think this is a bad take at all, Andy. I think that what you saw from the Bengals in the AFC championship game was a lot of three-man rushes and having another defensive back on the field who has reasonable athleticism is good. Serrano is a really good athlete, ladies and gentlemen. I know he's not a traditional outside corner, but if that's not what you're asking him to do, if you're just asking him to be an athlete in the middle of the field, maybe spy a quarterback, for example. Maybe he's your middle-of-the-field spy. And he can take away some of the short zones over the middle of the field and also keep an eye on Patrick Mahomes. If that's what you ask him to do, I think that's reasonable. So I think this is a perfectly reasonable take. I like it. Chris says, Bruce, happy combine week. My good idea was to make the Pro Bowl and combine better. Move the Pro Bowl to the last day of the combine, making it the accumulating event during the day. You have normal combine testing. Then in the evening, you have the matching group pro skills competitions. For the Pro Bowl game itself, you make it fly football, seven on seven. You have two groups, skills players and the bigs. This allows for all players available to participate and for an extended healing time post-Super Bowl. With the pros attending, they become available for mentoring the rookies as they will be co-workers for the next four, seven, 12 years. Now, you'll most likely need to move locations from Indianapolis because honestly, who vacations in Indian March? This will bring the financial gain to the combine that the league desires and creates a new opportunity to bring excitement and relevance to the Pro Bowl. I have food analogies for this idea. The first is going to a five-star restaurant on a random Tuesday night with minimal notice versus going to the same restaurant for an important day with plenty of lead time to plan the evening and build excitement. The second analogy is combining two individually good items to make a singularly great item. Asparagus is good, bacon is good, but bacon-wrapped asparagus is great. The image of this is in the movie Ratatouille, where Remy is talking to Emil about combining foods. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening. Patch. You know what? I like this in concept. I don't know exactly how it would work from a logistics standpoint, but I do like it in concept. I think anything you can do to make the Pro Bowl more like a skills competition is good. And I think overlapping those two might be fun. I will say that if you're asking the NFL to take two primetime events and turn into one primetime event, they might not value that from a television standpoint. That is my one thing that initially pops out to me is you're asking them to combine two things when they might be better off from a profit standpoint, keeping it as two things and not combining it at all. Derek says, hey, Bruce, I thought Tariq Woolen was a steal at this spot that I got him at in this mock draft. 
I want to say how much I appreciate your podcast. You dig deep into things that make people think about things from a logical point of view. Keep up the awesome work. And he showed me this mock draft. He took Kenyon Green from Texas A&M at 25. Kyler Gordon at 57. Calvin Austin III at 89. John Ridgeway from Arkansas at 127. Tariq Woolen at 166. Luke Fortner from Kentucky. He's a center at 184. Christian Watson at 202. And Matt Ariza at 242. Now, I will say right now, I am not in the boat of... I don't think he'll be there to pretty much everybody. However, I don't think a lot of these people will be there. I don't think Tariq Woolen will be there anywhere close to 166. I don't think Fortner will be there at 184. I don't think Christian Watson will be there in the 200s. I don't think Matt Ariza will be there at 242. So a huge chunk of the back half of this draft, I think, would be absolute pipe dream. And I think that Tariq Woolen and Christian Watson's combines probably seal that. I love this draft. I don't love going Kenyon Green at 25. I think there are more explosive players that can help you in more areas at different positions, but I love the rest of it. I love it so much that I highly doubt it would actually happen. So I am a big fan. Big, 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 big fan of the draft. I just, I just, I can't even wrap my head around how it happens. Evan says, Bruce, with free agency in the draft season upon us, it is Brandon Bean's time to shine. With tight cap space and an unwillingness to mortgage the future, I've never had credit card debt, Brandon Bean, the Bills offseason will look like a raisin brand crunch. Sean McDermott's favorite cereal, if you take out the raisin and the crunch, by the way. That's funny. I actually really like raisin brand crunch. I know I'm not supposed to because it's another old person cereal, like grape nuts, but I'm a big fan. It's going to be mostly boring, signing or re-signing serviceable role players who won't break the bank, drafting BPA for traits with up to three or two or three exceptions. One will happen if it would be shocking if two happen. If all three happen, this is a team of destiny. Here we go. Number one, his first take, very big name signs in Buffalo. And when the money is announced, everyone's jaw drops at how good of a deal it is. Insert Greg Tomset, cover one, squealing gif. Because as a fan base, we still can't relate to Buffalo being a desirable landing spot. By the way, at Greg Tomset on Twitter. Go ahead and follow him. He's an old friend of mine. Does great work. Or two, Brandon Bean lands a blockbuster trade out of left field. Hedge. Brandon Bean swindles Joe Shane into helping him create cap space. James Bradbury is Buffalo CB2. Or take number three. A consensus top 15 pick falls to 25. Bills get an immediate impact rookie who may start the season on the pup list next to new teammate Trey White. If all three of these things happen, I'll come to a game to throw people through tables in 2022. Bruce knows who I am and that I have a particular set of skills which help me excel at throwing people. Yes, you do. I am familiar with you, Evan. We have had chats about throwing people. So, I don't think it's insane that one of the three of these things happen. Blockbuster trade, big name signs and free agent with a lower than expected contract or a consensus top 15 pick falls to 25. I think one of the things that the significant combine has an effect on is I look at players like Jamison Williams. I look at players like George Karloftis, players who I thought were almost guaranteed to not be available when the Bills pick at 25. And now I'm like, "Mm, they might get there. I think there's a reasonable chance that the Bills could get a meaningful player at 25. 
in regards to blockbuster trades, things like that always open up when you have scenarios like the Carolina to Buffalo pipeline. Remember correctly, the first season Brandon Bean was around, he called his old boss, said, hey, what about Kelvin Benjamin? Now, Brandon Bean's old employee, Joe Shane, has Saquon Barkley and James Bradbury. So those things are not insane because the NFL is really about relationships and trusting people. It's about having a good line of communication with people. There are some people who just don't really do business together. And then there's some people where doing business is a little bit easier because it's a people business about communication. So I don't think any of this stuff is insane. I think all three of them together would be crazy, but I don't think any of them are insane on their own. Jordan says, Bruce, why is nobody talking about Fitz coming back at a hometown discount to be our backup? Ryan Fitzpatrick openly said last offseason that he didn't really want to go anywhere where he couldn't play. That's the reason why not a lot of people are talking about it is because he flat out said, listen, I, I live in Arizona. That's my home base with my family. And I just love to play. So if I sign somewhere, it's because I'm, I, I get to play. And so I don't think he's going to want to go somewhere. I'll, I'll eat my L if it's wrong. But I don't think he's going to want to play somewhere. He doesn't need the money. I don't think he's going to ever be a coach. I think it's just one of those scenarios where if there's an opportunity for it to come in and start, then he wants to do it. And given the way that the quarterback carousel has gone so far this year, he might get it somewhere. Maybe he's Indianapolis's plan. Maybe he goes somewhere else where they kind of fall through the cracks. Maybe New Orleans wants to bring in a little Fitzmagic. Though I think if it's in New Orleans, I think you call it Fitzfoodoo at that point. But I really believe that he's not going to just go somewhere and be a backup anymore. He wants to either play or just not play at all. So that's what I think. Anthony says, hey, Bruce, who would be your CB of choice for the Bills at 25? Sincerely, a fan that can't decide. Well, I think Sauce Gardner is going to be the first person off the board. I really believe that. I think Trent McDuffie might be there. I think Kyler Gordon's going to be there. I think McCreary might be there. I don't think Andrew Booth will be there. I think there's a very reasonable chance what you're looking at is McDuffie, Gordon, McCreary. Now, if Derek Stingley falls, which inexplicably makes me feel like maybe he might, if that's the case, then okay, by all means, I guess I'll take it. Oh, well, if Derek Stingley is there at 25 because he fell and the NFL overthought him, I will be screaming at the top of my lungs to draft him. If not, then McCreary is probably my guy at that point. McCreary is probably my guy at that point. So Gardner, Booth, Stingley, all off the board. I'm probably taking McCreary over McDuffie, who I have length concerns with, and Kyler Gordon. So for me personally, McCreary. Nathan says, Bruce, I just want to put an idea out there in regards to the combine that maybe judging 40 times and some other agility drills, maybe it should be done in a year-to-year vacuum, since it seems that times can be recorded slightly differently depending on venue, and we often see differences between the time recorders at the same venue. This is in response to the rash of fast 40 times that seemed almost like they were getting a primetime bump. And without getting conspiratorial, I just think that it's better to compare players between those of the singular combine as opposed to other years. Curious if you have thoughts on the matter. Thanks as always. Go Bills, Nate. Nate, I agree. Absolutely. Relative to their positional group, I think it matters a lot more because 
you have scenarios like we just saw where everyone's like, man, everyone's running really fast. And then it comes out that it's fairly new turf and you could just make everyone run on natural grass. There'd be less chance of getting injured and you could probably get a better and more consistent time year over year. But in the absence of the ability to do that, I think taking into consideration how fast the track is, then I kind of think you need pro days to be able to do that. But then people don't necessarily run at the pro days if they run really fast at the combine. For example, Traylon Burks did not run the 40 at his pro day. He ran a 4.55 at the combine. So 4.55 on a fast track. So is he actually a 4.6 guy? Does that change things for people? I don't know. But I think it matters. I don't know how we go about doing it, but I absolutely think it matters. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We talked about stuff. It's good to be back. Thank you for your kind words. Thank you for the notes I got over the last week where they're like, oh, Bruce, we missed your show. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be doing this, and I'm glad that you're a part of it with me. So if you're disappointed that I'm back and you wish you were getting another episode of Buffalo Rumblings Q&A with Matt Warren, then all I got to say is that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.